Welcome to podcast number 130 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is June 15th, 2021, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Tammy Uliano, MD. Tammy is a practicing anesthesiologist and a tenured professor at the University of Florida. In addition to a prolific list of academic publications, YouTube teaching videos, and numerous teaching awards, she has also written award-winning short fiction. Her debut novel, Fatal Intent, is out now, and she lives in Gainesville, Florida with her husband. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. On alternating weeks, we are introducing a new podcast, How to Rocket Your PI Business, featuring successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice for those just starting out or for those who are struggling. We will learn from the best. And of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share a few of their favorite detective stories and sage marketing tips. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring you inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, series prequel novella, Liberty City Nights. Miami's most wanted drug dealer is on the run, always one step ahead of the cops. Young, newly married FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, working with the Fugitive Task Force, has figured out how to draw him out of hiding. Will she get killed in the final showdown? For my listeners, this is free. Go to my website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com and click on the link. It will be delivered to your inbox immediately. Hi, Tammy. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Ah, uh, you're quite welcome. Say, so how's the weather down there in beautiful Gainesville, Florida today? Today it is spectacular. Springtime in north central Florida is wonderful. It's sunny and a little bit cool if you're in the shade and lots of azaleas blooming. It's great. Wow. You're in springtime. Yes. <laughs> we still have uh, snow in our park in the mall parking lots up here and uh, in southwestern Connecticut today, March the 12th, as I record this. And But we do have a bright, sunny and warm day. I mean, I was actually out there in shirt sleeves today. So pinch me. I'm like, I'm giddy that we're seeing the end of our winter here, but you sound like you're seeing the beginning of a, a glorious spring. Yes, we are. Our spring usually ends by mid-April, so we're enjoying it. That's right. You're in Florida. Right. Yeah, my uh, my best friend lives in uh, near Orlando, and he always likes to call me up when uh, the thermometer up here is like zero degrees. And I always like to call him up in August. <laughs> so payback, that's for sure. That's right. Yeah. You know, where he has to go from his air conditioned house to his air conditioned car 
and run across the parking lot into his air-conditioned office building. So, yeah. Anyhow, so enough of uh, the weather. But my listeners know that I like to chat with my guests about the weather to start things off, always. So, Tammy, how is it that you got started as a writer? And just kind of walk me through that journey. Well, it's been a, a circuitous one, to say the least. I, uh, I recently ran across some stories I wrote in childhood that my parents had kept in a box, and, and they're, they're pretty funny, actually, that it was a five- or six-year-old writing them. And then I stopped for a while through uh, college and medical school. I didn't even get much of a chance to read. And then when I was a junior faculty member in our anesthesia department, I recognized that we needed a textbook geared toward medical student level learner. And my mentor said, well, let's write one. So he and I spent a couple of years writing. It was actually a fun textbook. It's not a dry textbook. It has anecdotes and little asides. But when we finished that, he said, let's do something else. And, uh, and so we started a, a mystery novel centered on anesthesia. And, and unfortunately, he fell ill and passed away oh, I'm uh, before sorry. we got very far. But I had the bug. So I switched to a different book, also centered initially on anesthesia. And I just kept at it. I pretty quickly realized that I didn't know what I was doing, which was mm. sort of funny. It seems like it should be obvious if you read a lot that you would know how to write. But, but boy, it wasn't. I, uh, I'm really good at being completely immersed in a story and not paying any attention to the craft, just getting completely wrapped up in the characters and the plot. So uh, I had to take some classes and learn how to write. And uh, eventually, um, after, I don't know, 37 and a half versions, uh, Fatal Intent came together. <laughs> 37 and a half versions. Oh, as a writer, I understand that feeling. Oh, God. So a lot of interesting things that you said there. Some of your writing was work-specific, and obviously you're drawing on your background in Fatal Intent. Uh, but also, you were writing uh, and learning how to write in uh, textbooks, but with a little bit of flavor, a little zest to them. So it wasn't just dry textbook stuff that would, medical stuff that a lot of us wouldn't understand. So I, I get that part. But then you also realized that you had to learn how to write in fiction, and that took on learning how to go about doing it. So if you don't mind, just kind of talk about those, those steps that you took so that you could start honing your fiction writing skills. From the very beginning, even just point of view and, and head hopping and creating a setting and whether you write linearly or flashbacks or whatever, there was any number of things I had to learn. So I started out with thinking the plot was the most important. And so I read a K.M. Whalen's book on plotting mm -hmm. and started using her formula. And that helped a bunch to get me started. But then, you know, the character evolution and story arc and some of that I'd probably learned in high school, but it was quite foggy in my brain. Mm. Um, and learning how to pay attention when I read. And in order to do that, I usually have to read it twice. Mm. <laughs> Once enjoy the characters and again to actually pay attention to their techniques. And I'm, I'm still learning. I, I'm still learning anesthesia and I'm still learning how to write. Mm, that's interesting. Very much so. Now, I know that somewhere several years ago, the light bulb switched on where I went from being an avid reader in my genre to being a writer that read. And there's a difference there. And uh, I found myself, but I have to say, if it's, a, if it's a good book, 
the last third, <laughs> I kind of shuck the writer <laughs> shackles, and I'm just a, a, an avid reader for the last third as I, I go up through the climax. But I know that that's something that we now are either blessed with or cursed, depending on which way you look at it, of being a writer completely. that's now a reader. Excuse me? I agree completely. I've, uh, I'm not much for rereading, but I've reread a couple of books, and as I read them now... I realize that the writing is just really not that good. Mm. The story is good, but I don't, uh, I can't turn off that writer brain now when yeah. uh, when I'm reading something that isn't very good. In fact, I start editing it and realize that's <laughs> really not necessary. <laughs> yeah, but that helps you when you write your stuff. So uh, it that, does, it yeah. does, and I try to dissect it a little bit when I find something that I don't think is well written to figure out what it is because usually you can tell on the first page what is it about that writing that isn't quite right and I'm, mm. I'm still figuring that out but but every once in a while I'll I'll recognize something and go that's what they're doing and uh, mm. and then I immediately go uh-oh do I do that too <laughs> well with fatal intent I must tell you that you have a great opening hook and it's a paragraph that I'm going to uh, read back for you. So right now, chapter one out of Fatal Intent, and it's uh, the first paragraph. I dreaded weekends. That alone set me apart from my colleagues, from humans in general, even without all the rest. Nights I could handle. By the time I ate dinner with Aunt Erm, took Shadow for a run and played cards or read aloud with my great aunt, exhaustion would claim me. But weekends brought spare time, the enemy of all who grieve. So that's your opening paragraph. It is. And uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, it makes me want to uh, go to the next one and the next one and the next page and the next page and the next page. And so, so that's the goal. That is the goal, yeah. We can hook people in and let them know right off the bat that uh, this is a book worth investing their time in. Money, it's not so much important anymore. The pricing of books now is much more affordable, especially in e-print. And, but it's the time, the time that people want to invest. Do they want to invest the time in this journey or the thousands of other journeys that are going out there? But speaking of a journey, you get some help from a, a gentleman uh, that uh, some of us know. And, he, and this is what he writes about Fatal Intent. This is terrific. Delicious suspense. Done that authenticity and a great main character in Dr. Kate Downey. We want to see more of her. And this is written by Lee Child, of course, uh, the Jack Reacher fame and New York Times bestselling author of The Sentinel. So that's a little bit of a push from uh, somebody that might help me to make my decision on whether I want to read this or not. So kudos to you for getting uh, Mr. Child to uh, give you a blurb. Yes. It was uh, un unexpected because I know quite a few people who asked him for a blurb and, and were unsuccessful, but I think it was a, a blessing of time. I, I got to meet him at uh, Thriller Fest, which is a meeting of thriller writers and readers in New York City every summer. And mm -hmm. fortunately, it didn't happen the last summer or, or this coming summer because of COVID, but I did right. get to meet him in years past. And when I wrote him about asking for a blurb, it, it happened to hit right when everybody was quarantined. So mm. I guess he had a little more time on his hands than normal, and, and mm. he just couldn't have been more gracious. Yeah. And I, I went to my very first uh, Thriller Fest in 2019, uh, before the COVID. And again, it's a, it was at the Hyatt, although they're going to be changing that location now, I understand. Uh, yeah, when they're things... supposed to be taking that down. Yes, right. So at some point in 2022, I guess... Thriller Fest will be somewhere else in New York. But yeah, it's a great opportunity. For me, it was easy. 
I didn't have to stay overnight. I could just take the train down from southwestern Connecticut and back. And I was just excited about that. Any Anybody that's interested in writing thrillers, I highly recommend International Thriller Fest. I rec- recommend getting onto their mailing list. A lot of great stuff there, definitely, for sure. So, but you also mentioned that you're a member of a writer's group. Is that true? Or you gave acknowledgement to a writer's group, I saw? Yeah. Very early in my journey, I um, was looking for a, a course to go to, and somebody recommended an immersion course um, out in Colorado that I just sort of on a whim signed up for. And there were six other women there, and we just absolutely hit it off. They all write in different genres. That We were all complete beginners at the time. This was five years ago. And we've just stayed together. We're from all over the country, but we talk on the phone every couple of weeks and we get together once a year down here in Florida. We just did it a, a last month and we write and we talk about writing and we just sort of lift each other up. We don't, it's not a critique group. It's just a, a support group sort mm. of where we celebrate each other's successes and support each other when we're having the inevitable downtimes. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a great group. I hope, I wish for everyone to have that kind of a of a group. I haven't been as fortunate with critique groups, although I just joined one within the last couple of weeks. That so far so good. Mm. That was set up through Mystery Writers of America, and ITW is about to start a critique group. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm on the committee. Once it probably in June. So, uh, well, you mentioned Mystery Writers of America. They too have a conference. It's called the. BoucherCon conference, or BoucherCon, depending on your pronunciation, uh, named after one of their founders, Anthony BoucherCon. And uh, the Mystery Writers of America usually meet in the fall. Again, last year they were supposed to meet in Sacramento and didn't. This year they're going to take a chance on uh, New Orleans. So can you tell me about that critique group uh, with Mystery Writers? Because I'm interested. Um, I just, it, it was something on the, the news feed asking if anybody was interested and I signed up and was put into a group. So I guess you do it. I don't know if it's on their website, but it was on their, uh, email feed and, um, there's six of us and several are published. Some are unpublished, but everybody, uh, it turned out that we've really meshed as a group already. Okay. Um, we do it every two weeks. We submit 2,500 words, and then we take turns making comments on everybody else's writing. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be in a genre-specific group. Mm-hmm. I, I was in a group locally, and one person was writing, like, why a video game fiction, which mm-hmm. I really struggled to to give him good feedback because I really didn't know what the genre expectations were for mm-hmm. that sort of writing and somebody else was writing very literary stuff and I kept saying um nothing's happening and he's like nothing's supposed to happen it's literary (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I was very useful to him yeah but it's really kind of nice to be in something a little bit more geared toward the feedback that I need and the feedback I'm capable of giving I can tell somebody whether their story makes sense but I it's helpful to to have somebody who understands the tropes and the expectations. Mm. And to your point, I belong to a writer's group here in my local town, Milford. It's called Written Word. Wonderful people, lovely. They do give constructive criticism, and I do receive a great deal from that. I will add that because 
there are poets and YA and gamers and literary and abstract impressionists and some dark, 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 dark stuff that's very carthritic for the individual, but not never publishable, you know, I should say. And I'm not being mean. I'm just saying that it wasn't meant to be a published piece. But I, I feel that it gives me a little bit more width and breadth for me. That's just for me. But like I think you, that's true, and I think both are are very valid. Just at the stage I'm at now, I think I need a little bit more focus than breadth. Hopefully, someday I'll graduate to breadth. Well, no, I'm the opposite in my reasoning for want wanting both. So I asked you about the MWA critique group because I want to get genre specific. I want to get into the weeds with my people that write the way I write. Because if this is what we're reading all the time, they can catch me on my crap a lot sooner and pick out what I'm doing. Now, I, I say that right. You know, I, I mean that honestly, because you can't always see the forest from the trees when you're writing. You get, you know, you get into your 2,500 words and you're in your own world. And then, uh, and then you read it out to the group or they read it, you know, in the written form. And I think both groups have a, a benefit, right, Tammy? Uh, one, you're, you're going to get Definitely. people that are completely out of your genre are going to give you a totally different read. And then you got people that are in your genre are going to say, no, boom, 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 boom. Now, on one hand, you get the sense that your writing isn't all crap. And on the other hand, you're getting real tactical advice. So I think both would serve you. And I think both would serve me. So that's why I'm asking you about that. And I'm not arguing with you. It's just uh, another way of looking at it. I love my writers group. They accepted me as, as this very uh, pedestrian writer several years ago and have watched me uh, grow and change as a writer over the years. And I've learned a lot from them. So for me, I'm very, very happy. And of course, you know, free donuts. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of it is the people, how constructive they're able to be without being destructive. Mm. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a real blessing when you find that mix of people and, and you should hang on as long as it'll stay together, even through social distancing. Yeah, but I think I'm, I'm going to reach out to the MWA critique group myself. And I, I think I can muster up 2,500 words every two weeks. And I, you know, the other thing too, I don't, you wrote a short story. So before we get into Fatal Intent in its entirety, and I've, we've had this teaser going on for 10, 15 minutes, tell me about your short story a little bit before we get there. I've actually written about a dozen. Oh, okay. Um, maybe 10 or 12 have been published and, uh, and they've gotten progressively better. I will say I've learned a lot by, uh, by writing. Most of them are mysteries. I wrote one very silly thing uh, about Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy trading places one Christmas, which I still think it's hilarious. But uh, <laughs> um, it's um, it's just a really fun format to write in, especially when I get sort of stuck on a full length novel and I need a break. The break isn't that I don't write; it's that I write something else. And and I started doing that when uh, Jenny Milchman, who is a, a phenomenal psychological thriller writer. I met her at Thriller Fest and was bemoaning my inability to get a uh, agent or get a publisher and that I just couldn't keep rewriting the same book. And she said, oh, no, no, you, you need to be editing one book while you're starting another book. You always have to have your creative brain engaged. And so I started writing uh, some short stories. And, and she was absolutely right. The creative part of your brain is not the same as the editing part of your brain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And without a doubt. Uh, I think it was uh, helped my mental state quite a lot. And also the, the little victories of getting a few published gives you a little bit more, uh, I don't know, stick that you've had 
yeah. something to celebrate while you're waiting for the, the big thing. No, I get that. No, I understand that. I, I, I agree with you. And that's nice. And, and the way you say it's exercising different muscles, right. If you, if you try to exercise the same, same muscle sets the same way every single day, you're going to get bored after a while. You know, try a different exercise, try something different, exercise a little differently. Hey, you might come out stronger or more flexible in the long run. And certainly for the genre that you're in, short story writing is a great way to keep those muscles moving, you know? So definitely. So let's talk a little bit about Fatal Intent. Just tell me a little bit about Kate Downey and how this all came to be and how she came to be and what makes her so special. Well, I'm sure I'm not the first debut author to model my initial protagonist after my own life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she sort of, her personality and mine 25 years ago are quite similar, but, and our careers are very similar. We're physicians, anesthesiologists who do a lot of teaching, and uh, that part is very similar. And, and there we diverge. Her, you know, as a writer, you're told to be really mean to your characters, and, and I was quite mean to her. She's had... Mm-hmm quite a tough growing up. She's, uh, her parents have passed away. Her husband is in a persistent vegetative state and she's struggling a bit with, uh, with life in general. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I tried to just imagine how I would feel in that situation. And very much her voice just sort of rang in my head. And then I kept giving her awful things to deal with. And she evolves a bit in the book as they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was really fun. It, I'm sure you've seen this too, but people talk about, oh, the character just tells you what they want to do. And, and as a beginning writer, I said, oh, that's baloney. Um, <laughs> I would use really a different word. But... And, well, maybe. Um, <laughs> but when you're trying to write it and it doesn't come and it keeps saying, no, it doesn't go that way. And you go, but it's my book. I can write it however I want. <laughs> But yeah. but the character just won't do what you want her to do. And and so it was really interesting to see Kate go sort of not in the direction that I think I would have gone in that setting. And and it was very uh, enlightening to me as a as a new author to to learn how these characters take up residence as if they're a real person that you met on the street and and then become your best friend and and they talk to you Sometimes at inopportune times when you're trying to have a conversation with your spouse or something. Um, and then over the course of all the horrible things I put in her way, she, she grew and succeeded and uh, succeeded beyond her own expectations for her strength. And her life has evolved and it's continuing to evolve in, uh, in the sequel. Oh, Tell me about the sequel, if you can, briefly. Do you have a title, working title yet? I don't actually have a working title. Okay. <laughs> I named the Fatal Intent was called Do No Harm for its first five years. And the very first thing the publisher did was said, you can't use that title. It's been used too many times. And it, it just broke my heart because that's what it was called. Yeah. So, so I have not gone to great lengths to try to title this one because I don't expect it to last. Okay. Um, that's interesting. But, yeah. but it is, um, it's the Miller char- well, same characters, same little team, um, but now they're faced with a, a medical device issue that they're trying to solve. Ooh, I like and, those. And when I started, it was when I wrote Fatal Intent, I was asked, would it be a series? And she's an anesthesiologist. How many major murder mysteries are going to happen to an anesthesiologist at an academic medical center in a small town? And then, of course, everybody brings up Jessica Fletcher and Murder, She Wrote, and... And so, yeah, that part of it's a little far-fetched, but it's been fun. And, and the other thing I didn't really plan for 
because I wrote Fatal Intent as a standalone is that, you know, we talked about Kate having a character arc. Well, she has to have one in the next book, too, unless mm. I'm going to write her more like a Jack Reacher who's who's a little more static. So yeah. uh, so it's kind of interesting to try to figure out how she's going to change in this book relative to how she changed in the last book. But it's fun. I'm having a great time figuring it out. And you can always, if push comes to shove, my little tip for the day is uh, always put her on vacation somewhere. <laughs> I actually, the book started that way. Oh, that she was okay. going to go to a conference, a skiing conference, to a place that we go skiing because I would know it and I would be able to describe it. And she was at a conference to talk about end-of-life issues because that's what happens in, in Fatal Intent is she gets very involved in those right. sorts of decisions. And I ended up cutting that section of it, but I'll probably put it in another book. There you go. Is. But you're right. That's a really good way to do it. And, and some of my colleagues at, at my hospital have said, you know, you probably ought to get her out of our hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Not our hospital. It just happens to be very nearby and yeah. there isn't one nearby, but whatever. I know. Oh, you made me laugh. That's great. I got to save something for after when we're done. I got to tell you a quick story when we're done. Oh, good. But later, because this, this is your time. So that's great that Kate Downey's not one and done and that she's got a character arc. But you did mention you decided to go the uh, agent uh, publisher route and there's pluses and there's minuses. So why don't you go ahead and tell me about uh, that route and how, how you got to be where you are with the nice folks at Ocean View. Well, I queried, went to pitch fests, did all the, the things you're supposed to do to try to find an agent. And I got several bites, several people asked for falls. More than not, didn't respond at all, which is heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it's your baby after but I, all, right? It is, right. Yeah. But I wasn't having much luck with that. And then I um, I was actually, I volunteered to be a panel leader at um, at VoucherCon. Oh, okay. Um, in 2018 when it was in Tampa, because that was okay. a quick drive for me. Sure. And, um, and on that panel, which was a medical panel, was Pat Gusson, who is a family practitioner and, and one of the owners of Ocean View. And so I met her there and we talked and she invited me to submit my book to her. And it took me another year to go ahead and do that, but they read it and they liked it and they called me and said, let's do it. And so that part was actually quite quick, but that was after rejection. I don't know why I'm, well, I have another book that I also gave to her, and um, it was not really what they publish. It's a little bit in the future, and that was not their cup of tea. And I really, really, really want to get that one published. And so I'm back to querying. I'm hoping that if Fatal Intent does well, it might entice some agents to reconsider and go with, uh, with this other book. Which is also um, some, you know, has major themes. This theme is uh, if the world couldn't reproduce and then uh, a brilliant physician figured out how to fix it with a treatment, who, who decides who gets the treatment and when and mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. It was, uh, it's just a very fascinating thought to me is in, instead of birth control, there's total birth control and now you have to choose whether to have a baby. And, ah, that's a very so interesting a, yeah, uh, that, premise. That, it yeah. really intrigued me, okay. and, uh, and I love the book, so I'm hoping I can get some interest in it. Okay, and if not, 
You're on the other end of a uh, the Ethernet today with a dyed-in-the-wool indie author who will be more than happy to talk about that route if you so choose. Well, and that is a very real possibility. Several of my, my writer tribe girls are, are self-publishing, and they've been very satisfied with mm-hmm. it. And, and the Mark Dawson, I've been to some of his talks. And- oh, yeah. Well, he's, my, he's one of my gurus. Oh, yeah? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I'm, in fact, I'm taking – I took his self-publishing course, and now I'm in his ads for authors course now. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, I signed up for the self-publishing one that whenever he does it next. Okay, good. So. Well, that's that's a great start. May I also recommend a podcast that's a very very likable Brit by the name of Joanna Penn, and it's uh, oh, the Creative uh-huh. Okay, and it's Penn with a double N, as she says. Right. Lovely podcast, wonderful website, and, and the website is also searchable, so you can you know search any item. And she's probably talked about it. She's 500 and some, 500 plus podcasts now to this day. She's been doing it for 10 years. So she was my original guru that turned me on to um, Mark Dawson. So just a little bit of a heads up there for you that you're on the right track. And if you you put those two in combination, one with the podcast, the other with the coursework, you'll be fine. So that would be my suggestion. So anyhow, but that's great. So who do you like to read? Uh, that's one of my questions I always ask my guests. Who do they like to read when they when they want to curl up with a book? Well, my very favorite author is Louise Penny. Who oh, okay. Arban Gamash. Yeah. I don't write anything like her. She head hops and does all those things we're taught not right. to do. But oh my gosh, the way she paints her little Three Pines village and her characters are just people I really wish I could go visit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I double up everything she writes. It's the only series I've read twice. Oh, there um, you go. I haven't go. even read Harry Potter twice, but I have read Louise Penny's books twice. Okay. Um, and then the audiobooks of hers, the guy who reads them, he passed away. But even the new guy is just phenomenal. I wish I could remember his name. But mm. So I really love those. And then, of course, I do read Lee Child. I've okay. read every, all of his books. And Harlan Coben is uh, somebody mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy his his stuff and what a nice guy! I got to meet him at Thriller Fest as well. Sure, he's just this down-to-earth, very wonderful man. Yeah, I find and that then, writers, for the most part, put their pants on one leg at a time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was one of the most amazing things about going to Thriller Fest was meeting all these people and finding out that even the ones who write the darkest, most terrifying books, like uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on names, but um, Stephen King, they write. Yeah, I haven't met him. But they write, the, they are just the nicest people. And most of them are absolutely hilarious. You mm. would never guess how funny they are, considering the darkness of what they write. But really, a lot of thriller writers, I will read at least a few of their books. And I, I really enjoy Hank Philippi Ryan. I've mm. started reading stuff. Yeah. It's really, really good. Uh, Slaughter. Yeah, Karen Slaughter. Karen, I was kept kind of Kathy. Karen Slaughter is. Uh, I've read all her series as well. Oh yeah, she's a real I deal. Sort of Both of them are. Here. Those are dark ones. Yeah, yeah. Where does that come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, she's she's hysterical when you talk to her. I watched an mm. interview between her and Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl. Yeah. And they were just hilarious on was the that, stage. Was that in nineteen twenty nineteen or was that in eighteen? I don't remember. I've I think it was 19 because I watched, we were there. I, wa- I was there for that. And you're right. Yeah. The two, the, the room was packed and yep. uh, yeah, they had a fun time going back and forth. They, they did. They certainly did. Yeah. That was great. Now uh, I know that speaking about how some, you know, you have to be, you have to pick your spots when to approach people. And 
or to be available to be approached, I think, or to approach is a better way of doing it, saying it. But I was waiting for a, um, a panel discussion to start in uh, 2019's Thriller Fest. And I'm there like 20 minutes early. And I'm just, you know, like scrolling through my email, just killing time. Guy comes over, sits next to me. We get chatting, get chatting. And we're chatting a little bit more. You know, I don't know his name. He doesn't know mine. Comes time for the presentation. He gets up. He goes up to the podium. <laughs> and it's uh, J.D. Barker. And it's oh, like, he's so nice. Yeah. And afterwards, I said, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm an, thank you for talking with me earlier. I appreciate that. And he says, oh, that was, you were good. You were fun to listen to, to me, you know. And uh, I said, well, you know, I'm not going to bother you. But if I have one or two questions, and I mean, like, when I mean one or two, I mean one or two. Could I, could I contact you? He wrote his email out on the back of a business card, gave it to me, said, this is my personal email. Go ahead. Said, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Now, of course, I, I didn't, I didn't, I only asked him one question afterwards and I was true to my word, but you know, he responded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, that's been my experience with all, the only person who, who wasn't quite like that was uh, George R. R. Martin. And I don't think it was his fault, it, but his guard or whoever it was next to him when you went up to get your book signed was yeah. like, you have two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> My friend had her camera out and it turned itself off right as he was signing my book. And I was like, can she get out her phone? No. Oh, geez. <laughs> but he was also very approachable and very mm -hmm. nice. But I get it with his, yeah. I'm sure the paparazzi are all over him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And but, I, I like understand. We were, in the, we were in the elevator with R.L. Stein and we walked out of the elevator and there was a little kid sitting on a, on a sofa with one of his books. And we pointed to out to him that she was sitting there and he walked over and sat on the couch next to her and just started talking to her. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if it was random that she happened to have his book or whether she knew that the, it was going on in the hotel, but what a nice guy, mm. just very friendly. Yep. Humble. And you know what you're talking about? You go to a conference and if you're not the world's most introverted introvert, you know, and don't stand in the corners, you might actually meet and say hello to other people that could be very formative in your career. Right. You're on a panel and it finds out that one of your panel get persons that are also turns out to be connected to the publishing firm that you end up uh, getting published by. So complete serendipity for me. Yeah, yep. for sure. But that, you're right. You have to put yourself in the position where good things can happen. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things, too. I mean, Tammy, uh, you learned how to write. You're reading other people in your genre now with a writer's eye. You're joining a critique group. You've been with a wonderful group of women that, you know, you did an immersive with. And you're also practicing your craft just the same as you would whether, you know, in an operating room. You know, you have to go through the, the steps. There's no shortcuts either way, right? There's no... There are not. Yeah. I, never I, ends. The learning never ends, which I think is... I'm, I'm uh, currently reading a book called Think Again by Adam Grant. And that's sort of the theme of the book is you keep your mind open forever because once you think you know it all, that's, that's when you become irrelevant. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, just very quickly, uh, in my real life of 44 years, I was a private investigator and investigator. And there'll be times when I'd talk to the old salts and they'd say, hey, kid, I've forgotten more than you'd ever know. And, and I'd look at him and i said, well, sir, I'm sorry for your dementia. <laughs> you know? But, Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry about your dementia. Anyhow. So were there writers that, uh, I know you were writing technically before you started to write the mystery novel. Were there any uh, writers that you loved? Well, you mentioned Louise Penny. Was there anybody else that in your earlier days were influential to you? 
There's a, a woman named Carol Casella who wrote a book about an anesthesiologist. She's a pediatric anesthesiologist out at Washington. Oh, okay. And, uh, and she wrote a novel that focused on an anesthesiologist. And um, I don't even know how I stumbled upon it, but it was phenomenal. Okay. She wrote a couple other books that have also been really good, but I contacted her early on and she was very encouraging about that I should pursue it. So that's one. But really, I read pretty much anything that comes across my plate. I really like Michael Connolly, especially the Bosch series mm -hmm. and uh, and his new one with the woman whose name I blank on. I'm Renee Ballard. Not as, yes, yes. I'm not as big of a fan of, of the journalist series, Jack McAvoy and the Lincoln Lawyer stuff, just because I really have to like the main character. And, okay. and I like the Lincoln Lawyer, but he's kind of kind of shady in his in his career and um i struggle with those those issues i want my main character not that bosch is is this clean-cut guy but uh mm. but you really 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 root for him and uh true i'm excited for the next season of of that series to come out too well and, and, um, and he's actually a gator michael connelly graduated from uf so i'm hoping to meet him someday okay I hope to have him on my podcast someday. He's originally from Philadelphia, and if you, you can hear that in his uh, twang sometimes. Yeah, but... Uh, I think he's going to be at BoucherCon this year. Really? I think so. Oh, sweet. And then I can get with my posse of uh, podcast guests and say, gee, Mike, I'd like you to be part of the club, but I don't know. You know, these are all my friends here, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to make it hard, right? You have to make it like, oh, gee, I want to be part of that club. But uh, anyway... No, I, I, I read Bosch. I love Bosch. I actually liked Jack McAvoy in The Poet and uh, I believe in the second book as well. Name, uh, title escapes me. Mickey Haller as the Lincoln lawyer, loved it, loved it. Just, you know, because I work with criminal defense lawyers all the time. So for me to see a fictional one, it's great. And Is, uh, is the accuracy good in that? Yeah, because in reality, he goes from this high-flying lawyer to, to then he has to start scraping to do, like, bankruptcy stuff. So, Spending drug addicts and, yeah. So, you know, it, it's really interesting to see the ups and downs of a practicing lawyer, especially a solo. Now, the hook of driving around L.A. in a Lincoln is fantastic <laughs> because, and it also made for nice uh, payday for Matthew McConaughey when he became a Lincoln spokesman. But after having played Mickey Holler, in the, the movie, but the idea of a lawyer that conducts business and can build time going between court appointments was just amazing. And to have a driver, well, I could do that because if you know anything about Los Angeles, it's just 24-7 gridlock. And being in the car all the time is like, ugh. So the guy turned it around and turned the backseat of his car into an office. So brilliant, brilliant idea. Anyway. Uh, I've actually been reading those recently because it's written in first person and my books are written in first person. So it's helpful to me to, to read others in the same fashion. First person present? Master at it. Yeah. Well, no, first person past. Okay. I'm reading an author now that's first present, first person present. And oh my God, it's just such a wonderful read. And it's a cozy mystery. Her name's Joan Livingston is the uh, okay. author. And... I'm just like sucked into these. I just can't believe it. I read these hard, <laughs> I read these hard-boiled, you know, detective novels and police procedurals and crime thrillers, and I get this cozy mystery written in first-person present, and I'm like, wow, this is so refreshing, you know, so nice. And uh, she also sets her um, her story in the Massachusetts, Western Massachusetts hill towns, which is all of about 
an hour and a half from me. So oh, that's fun. Yeah, it is. Her name's Joan Livingston. I'm I'm hoping to have her on the podcast now that I've I've outed her in my <laughs> in a pre- earlier one as one of my uh, one of my uh, favorites. But yeah, first person present. That I find that would be maybe some people can do it. I would fall down. I'd trip over my. It'd be like my shoelaces were constantly tied. If you know what I mean. I, I I'm just third person passed all the time. Well, and, and Fatal Intent started out as third person and multiple points of view, and I and I shaved it down to one and then put it in first person, and it really helped me with uh, learning how to write deep. Mm. Um, and then my the other book I was telling you about is in third person with three points of view, but I, I think I became a better writer by trying to write what in first person. Yeah, definitely. And I think that'd be a great place for my writing exercises with my critique groups. That's a great place for a short story, right? That's yeah, a great place absolutely. to flex those muscles. So Absolutely. now I got to write. Oh, the other author I wanted to mention is Deborah Crombie. I don't know if you've read any of hers. Hers are police procedurals set in England, in London. Okay. And they're phenomenal. They're so good. She hasn't written one in several years, but they are really, really good. I also like Elizabeth George. She writes mm. London as well. You're well read. Well, I'm very well read within my genre, but right. I'm trying to be better about reading outside of it because that's uh, – that's important. Yeah, nah. <laughs> yeah, nah. I, you know, I agree with you to, a, you know, I have a, a couple writers that, friends that write in, uh, like, write a space opera. And, you know. Yeah, no, I don't want to read that. Well, I did, and I liked my, what my friend did, you know. But but would I then fall in love with the genre? No, not necessarily. I love what my friend wrote. You know, and yeah. I, I was, and I turned the pages because I wanted to, not because I had to, because it was my friend, and uh, I did. But you know what? What I like to say, and I, I'm, I'm not being mean when I say this, but uh, Harry Bosch and Lawrence Blocks, Matthew Scudder, both have had their Medicare cards for about ten years now. <laughs> so I need to this find. True. I need to find some younger blood, and right. I think Connolly did something with Renee Ballard. And to do that, you know, to find somebody that's younger now that maybe a younger audience can relate to instead of somebody that uh, was a tunnel rat in Vietnam, literally a tunnel rat in Vietnam. That's 1968, 1969. You know, it goes back a few years. So I'm finding now because of my podcasting that I'm reading a lot of writers that I may never have been exposed to before. But because of the podcast, I'm getting to read them and enjoy the hell out of their writing. And just, you know, and so now I'm sucked into my, my favorite detective stories even deeper because I'm reading all these other writers that write in my genre and just do it a little differently and maybe a little different, a little bit better. And I guess that higher tide lifts my boat, you know? So, right. Yeah. Well, I was looking at who you've interviewed and yeah, Bob Dagoni is, mm-hmm. I've read several of his books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's so many to choose from. You're going to keep your PBR pile full. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I, I have to tell each of my favorite writers that I have to put them on a rotation basis. I just can't read their series straight in order because I, you know, I, I want to savor them for a while too. I just don't want to be a, a vacuum cleaner with, you know, their writing. So uh, I've added uh, recently. Uh, I, and you'll hear her come up in a, another month or two. Lisa Gray, who wrote a book called Thin Air, and she's followed it up now with two other books, and a fourth one's coming out fantastic writer. She's from uh, Glasgow, Scotland, and writes about a uh, an American private detective in the first book operating out of um, a little part of Los Angeles. And you would never know, <laughs> you know, that this was written by somebody from, you know, across the pond. 
you know, just wow. just great stuff. Oh, it's on my it's on my want to read list. It was already there. Really? Great. Yeah. There you I go. I just looked it up on Goodreads. <laughs> All right, pick it up because uh, she, and this, that was a debut novel for her too. Wow. Oh yeah, hits it out of the park. It does. So I, I know I'm gushing about another guest. Anyway, on your time. <laughs> but it's hey, it's worth. Re- I think it's worth reading. If you want, if you want to move her up to the front of the line on your pile, I won't. You won't disagree with me when you finish. So anyway. I'm just so happy to hear about how who you like and who influences you. I love to hear about Fatal Intent. I thought that was great. I loved your story about how you came to this all. So tell us, how, how can people find Tammy Uliana and uh, Fatal Intent? Well, I'm on all the usual platforms, mostly with my first initial and my last name, which is just all the vowels, mix them up till it <laughs> sounds right. Um, <laughs> Tuliano. T-U-L-I-A-N-O, yeah. Um, and that's my website as well, .com. And the book is available in hardcover and ebook right now everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then the audio book is supposed to be coming. Actually, when this is airs, I'm, hopefully the paperback will be out and the audio book will be more available. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just been a thrilling uh, launch week. And, um, and I'm so gratified that people are liking Kate and are in- interested in the, the themes. And then uh, the last little plug is that um, I encourage everybody to go on my website or just Google it to get information about living wills and healthcare surrogates and make sure that you've got yours and your loved one's wishes that you have voiced them and uh, understand mm. so that if bad things happen, you're not stuck trying to figure it out. Yeah, with the with the the gravity of the situation and all the grief or all the emotions swirling around, you have a cut dry document that you can just stab your finger on and say, "Hey, here it is, right here." Or somebody else has it there that can do that instead of guessing what John wants or Tammy wants. Or having different people in the family with a different opinion, and you may have one that's uh, mm-hmm. that's making the decision. But if there's disagreement, it's it's just not where you need to be. I've seen it too many times in the intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. And that's not what people need at that time. No, absolutely not. And emotions run high. They so. absolutely do. And sometimes it's uh, it doesn't end when it ends, right? But yeah. once you've burnt those bridges, it can be very difficult. Sure. Good advice. Thank you very much, Tammy. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. I had a really great time. Yeah, I'm that kind of guy. You are. <laughs> and you're a wonderful guest. And thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you have any questions, please leave them at the website, www.johnhoda.com. Our guest next week is Grace Elton Castle. Grace, raised on the Solets Indian Reservation in Oregon, is a fierce protector of Native culture, traditions, stories, natural resources, sacred items, and burial sites. A retired professional investigator, writer, editor, reporter, and photographer, she helped plan and was a speaker at the 1998 Wrongful Convictions and Death Penalty Conference in Chicago. She was also the editor of the National Association of Legal Investigators, The Legal Investigator, as well as PI Magazine. She participated in the reinvestigation of wrongful conviction uh, exonerations and continues the battle to reform our criminal justice system. 
She's also the writer of a debut novel, A Time to Wail. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation and would like to hear about other great detective writers and their books, please go to our website, johnhoda.com, and click on our podcast page. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the email list to get John's new novella, Liberty City Nights, for free. Check out the show notes for links to all of John's publications, ways to connect with today's guest, and more. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by the conversation today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends or leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time.